This is the Advanced Selling Podcast. The aim of this podcast is to help business sales teams grow their business with modern strategies and philosophies. Now, your hosts, Bill Kasky and Brian Neal. Bill Kasky back at the Advanced Selling Podcast. Brian Neal is out today on assignment in Cleveland and Atlanta. At least that's what he says. But in his place, we have a very able guest. Actually, it's not a guest. It's our producer, Jill Van Arsdahl. Welcome, Jill. Well, thanks for having me, Bill. You are the producer and have been on the Advanced Selling Podcast for many, many months, many episodes. And I don't know, have you ever actually been on the show like this? Nope. We have never asked you to be on the show. Not at all. Okay. (laughs) Well, uh, Jill does all of our production and editing and everything. So here's what we're going to do today. In absence of Brian, we get a lot of emails and questions and comments from listeners, uh, either through the LinkedIn group or just uh, general to listener at advancedsellingpodcast.com. And I think we don't often spend enough time on these questions. So Jill took five of the most recent questions over the last couple of weeks. And so what we're going to do is she's going to ask me the question that a listener posed, and then I'm going to take a stab at answering it. Does that sound like a fair plan? That sounds exciting. Okay. Well, let's go. Let's go to question number one. How do you sell a premium product? I seem to always run into a price resistant at the last moment. Someone else comes in at a lower price. Well, we just had a a webinar on this very topic of how to sell a premium product, and and the webinar's title was in a commodity market or in a market where maybe your advantages, your premium advantages are not readily either identified or acceptable or consumed or believed. And and, uh, it really, a lot of times, it, it gets back to, what selling process are you following? Are you following a broken model? Uh, in other words, the broken model is that whole convince and persuade, and I'll go to the prospect, and I'll put my best foot forward, and I'll try to impress him with everything I know. And really, that is an old, broken, antiquated, uh, inefficient model. What you should be doing is uh, changing the model to more of a define and attract model, which is where you define the ideal prospect that you want to work with, the ideal client. You assign attributes to that person. So it may be that it may be a demographic attribute where you want to have a client that has a certain size, their purchasing levels are a certain amount. Uh, You might have a psychographic attribute that says, look, when I pursue a prospect, I want to be able to talk to the CEO and talk to all the VPs and talk to the people who have the problems. And so when you are changing the model away from I'll sell anything to anybody to a much more discerning model, that's when you start to be able to command a premium price because no longer does the prospect look at you and say, heck, he'll he'll, or she'll sell to anybody. We just have to get the best price. I want the prospect to say, you know what, these people... Uh, only sell to people where it's right, where the value is is right on target, and therefore there's not that uh, always neediness of the salesperson. So I think the first thing you have to do is change the model, and I think that will uh, will help. The other thing I think you have to do is change your mind. And the mindset has to be one of detachment and abundance, and you have to have high intent when you're in pursuit of the prospect. And we talk about these a lot. You've got to have, uh, you've got to make sure that the buyer-seller dance that you've set up is not one where you're you are um, leaning on them; that they're leaning on you. They're looking to you for answers and advice and consulting and expertise and eventually a solution. So, how do you sell a premium product? I think you have to change the way you approach the market. I don't think it happens when you have a little bit better website or a little bit better questioning technique or a little bit better brochure or a little bit better webinar. I think it happens when you go back to the real basics of how do we sell. 
And that's the thing that will create a change and create a higher demand for your product and probably a higher price point, too. The second question, how do you call high? I always get to where I think the decision is made only to find that I've stopped one level too low when calling on people. Then the decision is made and I'm unaware of it. Yeah, calling at the right level is a constant issue, and it it's uh, it kind of goes regardless of what product you have, what service you have, what segment you call on. Uh, we have a lot of clients in the business-to-business arena and the consulting and training we do, and it seems like there's always an issue where there's someone else who is, if not making the decision, is influencing the decision or weighing in or offering their perspective that we're not in front of. And so as you look at your own uh, process, you have to ask yourself the question, are we calling on all of the people who can influence the purchase? And one thing that I have said before is I wonder if it's, it's not a matter of calling higher. It's a matter of, of learning higher, meaning we want to learn from the people who are at higher levels inside the company. So if I'm calling on a VP of sales or a sales manager and they've asked us to come in and work with their sales team, I not only want to want to understand what they're trying to accomplish, but I want to know at the executive level, executive directors or maybe the, the VP of sales and marketing, if it's, if it's organized that way, or a pre, the president of the company, I want to know their perspective on the problem because it's through getting other perspectives that – I'm able to fashion a solution that really works for them. If you only have one person's perspective, chances are you're going to have a weak solution because the perspective is not enriched from many different dimensions and and areas. So I like to think of it as what am I going to learn by calling higher and and around versus just how can I sell more? And I think that the days are over where we call high to get a decision and we, we, we call it the executive level and have that decision shoved downward. It just doesn't happen so much anymore. So let's forget about the calling high, even though I know that what we're talking about here is getting to different levels and getting to the authority levels. Let's think about it from a perspective standpoint. How do we learn from who we call on? How was that? Was that pretty good? That's good. You, yeah, okay. Do you have an example of that, possibly? <clears throat> yeah, here's, a, uh, here's an example. Boy, you're throwing me a curveball there. Whoa. Do I have an example? Hmm. Can I make it up or do I have to have a real one? I'll go with a real one. Let's How do about a real that? one, please. Yeah, I've got a, a client who sells to school systems and they sell products and services to school systems and many times the school system will have a uh, uh, a purchasing person in in this superintendent's office but the problem is what they sell is used by teachers and administrators and students and so even though the decision is made by purchasing the requirements are built by other people And you find this a lot where you have a dual buying relationship where you're calling on one person maybe to get the purchase order, but a whole different group is actually using what you're selling. I believe that you've got to call on both. You have to call on the purchasing agent or they're not going to be able to, uh, you know, you, you want to know how they do business. They want to know how you do business. But you also have to call on higher levels. Like in this case, they call on the superintendent and they, they do exactly what we just said earlier. We, they find out from them what is their perspective on the problem to be solved by buying this product or service. And so one, one thing you might do as, a, as an exercise is sketch out 
who in the organization you should have contact with. And I think it's less about, I, I don't think you can do one of these for your entire territory or, or, or business. I think you do it customer by customer. Because one customer, you may have to talk to the superintendent. The other customer, the superintendent has nothing to do with it, and he or she just uh, puts the responsibility on, their, on his or her people. So I think you, you've got to do this for each customer and say, where are the pockets of influence inside a customer and make sure that we understand what their perspectives are. Does that help? That was great. No, that's Thank good. you. I made that up as I went. No, but that's true. True story, actually. Okay, number three. The third question: How do I stop from doing too much unpaid consulting when I'm in expert mode? Recently, I gave a lot of expertise and had the prospect take my expertise and send it to their current vendor, who took it and rewired his proposal and got the business. Yeah, that's a that's a true story. From actually, it wasn't a podcast listener. This in this case, it was a client who we just started working with, and they took. They have embraced this expert philosophy, and, and we've, you've heard Brian and I talk about the expert platform and being a resource for your customers and talking about the knowledge that you have and educating your prospect and so forth. So there's that expert platform that we think every sales professional needs to have around them today, and it's not just about products. It's about processes and expertise. But I guess the question is then, at what point does being an expert stop and being an unpaid consultant start. And an unpaid consultant is someone who actually goes in and tells someone exactly how to solve the problem, and the customer goes and solves the problem, and then they don't need you anymore. And that's an unpaid consultant because you never get paid for that advice. So I think the, the question is probably more about where is that line between being an expert how do I demonstrate my expertise but not give it away? Because once I give it away, I can't really blame the prospect for taking my expertise and doing something with it or doing it themselves. I mean, that's it. We're, we live in a free world, free market, free country. So the question is, is where do you draw the line? And I think that's probably a more relevant question to ask yourself and your team if you are a VP of sales or sales manager listening to this is where, where does the unpaid consulting line start? And I think when, if you demonstrate expertise by sharing case studies, sharing uh, your internal processes and how you do things, but you stop short of saying, here's what we recommend you do here, I think that's probably a, a pretty fair line to draw. The next question I think is a great one. It is, what is your favorite book right now, or what are you currently reading? I'm assuming you mean business book? Yes, business okay. book. Uh, that's all I read, actually. I'm boring. That's I never why it's read a great fiction. Question. I never read fiction. Yeah. Because you're always reading. I've got two books on the bookshelf right now that I'm halfway through, both of them, and they're both very good. One is a book called Blah, Blah, Blah by Dan Rome, R O A M. I think we might have mentioned this on the podcast before, but it's a book about how do you communicate your value through illustrations and pictures versus through words. And uh, uh, Dan Rome, the author, his philosophy is that our brain can understand pictures a lot quicker and a lot deeper than we can understand words. And so I can stand up in front of a group and spend 30 minutes talking about something, or I can show them a picture, and in 30 seconds they understand it. And that is, I think, especially true for sales professionals, especially if you're giving presentations and speeches and, and uh, you know, seminars and things like that, is how do we use the power of the brain to, or the knowledge of the brain to help people, our prospects most notably, con con uh, consume information in a way that they can understand it, believe it, buy into it, 
And I think that um, a book like that really helps you. And he's got a lot of great examples there. Second book I'm reading is one called Platform by Michael Hyatt. Uh, Michael Hyatt, Hyatt spelled H-Y-A-T-T. You can go to michaelhyatt.com, I think. He's got a blog, and he talks a little bit about his book. He just released it. And really it's about, with all the social media avenues and and Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube and Twitter and all these these, uh, social media options, how do you really establish your platform? You know, we talk, we've talked about platform in here a little bit about expertise. You have to have a platform built on expertise. But his focus is really more about embracing the actual platform that you're using and leveraging it. And uh, through videos, through podcasts, through all these different avenues that are available to us, I find it really interesting because he's really taken it away from how do I sell someone something to how do I communicate my message on my platform to my online or tribe community, and how do I get paid for that? So those are my two favorite books right now. Favorite blog is always Seth Godin, G-O-D-I-N. I think it's uh, sethgodin.typepad.com. Uh, he produces one every day, and I always find them uh, motivating, and it kind of causes you to think. And they're very simple ones. It takes you 90 seconds to read each day, but I would definitely recommend that. We've talked about that a lot on the podcast as well. But that's my favorite blog and a couple good books I'm reading now. The next question, why does everyone have so much trouble with prospecting? Well, I think that, you know, when we look to our LinkedIn group, and uh, I know, Jill, you've done some research on Twitter with our uh, tribe and saying what is the biggest problem in the sales process, and I think you and Brooke are actually going to be producing some videos on this, which I'm looking forward to. But the idea is that in a sales world, Probably what usually happens is the salesperson, account executive, whatever you want to call us, we are charged with going out and generating new business. That includes everything from researching clients to understanding the market to coming up with a message to calling people to starting discussions to qualifying them to making a presentation to doing a webinar to present. It's an entire gamut of things. The problem is that we're not good at every part of that process. We're just not. Uh, sales professionals, typically, the, the good ones at least, are really good when it comes to going and doing a phone call or going and running an appointment, or actually going, sitting down with a prospect, finding out what their issues are, what their pains and problems are, pretty good at uh, developing relationships with people. We're not good at sitting in a room on a computer trying to figure out who to go call on. And so, therefore, what happens when we don't do that, we kind of go where the wind takes us. And if somebody hits our website and leaves their name, then we go pursue that. If we run into someone at Starbucks and and, uh, they seem like a prospect, we call them back later and say, would you like to have coffee? And so we actually go in a lot of different directions to find prospects. When the fact is that, you know, you can probably buy a list of suspects. And let's, let's distinguish between suspects and prospects. A suspect is someone who, who is in a position that they could buy your product. A prospect is someone who's in a position that they could buy your product, and they actually want your product. A suspect doesn't necessarily want your product, but a suspect's name and address and, and phone number and company and SIC code, those are all very, very valuable tools. And so the first thing I would do, uh, and I even mentioned that, that we're – we salespeople are not very prudent types. We're not very sequential and process-focused. And yet the first part of all prospecting is really process-focused. It's the thing we don't do well. I was talking with a uh, person who's been in the business, for, been in sales business for probably 15 years the other day. He's probably 40 years old. And I said to him, how do you find prospects? 
And, and he was telling me, and I said, you know, that, that seems like a, a very old, antiquated way to do it. I said, how many customers do you have? And he goes, well, I've got probably, I've got about 100 customers, but they fit into three or four segments of people because he sells products to little, slightly different market segments. And I said, have you ever reverse engineered the SIC codes in your, in your current clients? And he looked at me like I had a third eye. He said, what are you talking about? And I said, you, you probably have some SIC codes. And SIC codes are, are what's called standard industrial classification codes. So every business has an SIC code that is predominantly around the actual type of work they do. So a drilling manufacturer would have an SIC code and a drilling consulting company would have a slightly different SIC code. And the idea there is to go out and find your ideal clients, what their codes are, and then go search on those codes and find other people who do the similar kinds of things and buy a list of VPs of sales or operations or whatever the list is you want. And you can do that in 30 minutes on the internet. And probably for four or $500, you can have a list of everybody who's a, at least a suspect in your territory. And he says, I've never thought about it that way. Well, there, of course we haven't because we don't think that way. We think, who can I go call on today? And that's not what we want to think about as we get into the new new world of selling today where, dig, where data is everywhere. We've got to be a little smarter about that. So here's a person who's probably very good with relationships, not very good at research. And yet, if he were to either do that or find someone to do that for him, he would immediately end up with a list of people to go call. Now you say, well, but now you're cold calling. Well, not necessarily. You can go to LinkedIn. You can start to research those people and find out who in your LinkedIn network knows those people. So that's a more... I would call it a more savvy and sophisticated way to do it rather than letting a customer happen across you somehow and then they call you or you call them because they just uh, showed up at a Starbucks one day. And I think that we've just, all sales professionals, the reason prospecting is so difficult is because we're just not cut out for the front end of that and that's what we need to get good at or we need to find somebody to do that for us. So that's, uh, that is my answer to that. And I know there's not a lot for you to go do with that, but you can go to Reference USA. You can, uh, ReferenceUSA.com is an organization that has data, and they, they buy it from Dun & Bradstreet or whatever, but I find their, their prices to be good and their quality to be very good. You can find out the SIC code of your clients by basically just Googling the client name and with the words SIC code, and it probably will come up somehow. You'll be able to figure that out. So there really is a, a very easy way to do that. But I think that's, that's where I would start with prospecting. If you haven't done that yet, I think you'd be surprised at how many stones you can turn over that you didn't even know were there before, and that, that might help people. So those are our questions today. Those are very good. Those are five really good questions. Hopefully we uh, didn't go on and on too long, but I think a couple of those, in fact, we have a couple more that we've uh, actually pulled out that we're, Brian and I are going to do next couple sessions, and one of them is on, we talk a lot about detachment and abundance, but what if you have two or three clients that are huge? How do you detach from them when, when there's just not a lot of large companies left and this one person in their territory had this very question? So we're going to take that next time and talk a little bit about abundance when it comes to customers you really can't afford to lose. Fair? That's great. Jill, thank you so much. You did Thanks a great job today. Me. You were eloquent. You were right on top of things. You, you had great questions. You'd researched this. And no Jillisms. And no Jillisms today. Yes. That's right. We should, we should have had an honorary Jillism just mm -hmm. because you're here. Exactly. But maybe after the microphone goes off, maybe you'll have one. Probably will. will. All right. See you next time. You can also email us at listener at advancedsellingpodcast.com. 
Brian and I will be back next week. Bye. This has been the Advanced Selling Podcast presented by Kasky Achievement Strategies, Indianapolis. Join us each time we record a new podcast by going to iTunes. 